Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Playoffs are still within reach. Welcome to the Some of It Was True edition of Sabres Live. That's a tip of the cap to the new Menzingers album. It'll be up to you at the end of the show to determine what is true that we are speaking of during the course of this hour. Marty, review <laughs> or move on? What do you want to do? Game one or game two? I think there's a, a time for both, um, the both of them, uh, if you want to say. Um, a little review, uh, because you know what? You kind of sleep on it, and then you wake up and you said, okay, what did I witness? How does that yeah. come together? You watch a few more clips, you look into some numbers, and then you think, well, this was truly a bad offensive night. Like, it was truly a bad offensive night. And, yes, the Rangers played a stingy, stingy defense system, 1-3-1. They blocked a ton of shots. Give credit to the Rangers for doing that. And then also look at the Sabres and say, you're going to see that a lot this year, right? Teams are going to play well defensively against you. Why? Because you are a great threat. So you got to be better. Um, So then I look at it and I say, according to the numbers, five on five, the Sabres played only five games, five games all season last year that were worse offensively than what they showed last night. So was that bad? Yeah, that's really bad. I'm going to guess at least one of those games was against Seattle. Yes, you're right. One was against Seattle. You want to know the kicker of all of that? Always. Four of the the five games that were worse offensively last year, the Sabres won. Like they just somehow found a way to win so in a I, bad. I miraculously plucked the one game that they lost. The one game that they lost. <laughs> yes, the one game that oh, they lost was against amazing. the Seattle Kraken, right? But unscripted I look at, live uh, shows are just amazing. Uh, they, I, they. <laughs> I look at a game like the, even even the game against the Blue Jackets where the Sabers scored nine goals. Technically, mm. offensively, with the expected goals at five on five. They had a worse number. Why? Because they scored a lot on the power play and then they shut it down, right? Mm-hmm. They just basically, they didn't try at five on five. But that to me was a story last night. Tage yeah. Thompson, it, it, the, the Sabres offense is going to run through their top line, right? If your top line goes, your Sabres offense is going to go. Tage Thompson's the same thing. Last year, only five games in the whole season at Tage Thompson, lower number when you look at expected goals while on the ice at five on five. Same Two of five them, or? Uh, no, different five. Two of them were in the uh, month of March when he was banged yeah. up. Yeah. So really, yeah. when healthy, Tage only played three worse games when you look at the, cre- the chance created in the season last year. Right. Probably m- more or as much to do with the opponent than anything else, though. Yeah, and I'm not I, you know what putting I mean? the blame like, on Tage Thompson yeah, for the game like last night. Like, that's yeah, not what it is. But yeah. it mirrors what I saw last night. And I'm saying right. that it was not a good game offensively where the offense at at 2 nothing right, needed to come yeah. through and maybe get a goal, and all of a sudden it changes it. It didn't happen. The Rangers got their third goal. Well, pulling from the same filing cabinet um, where the uh, Lamorello contracts 
are stashed for months on end before being announced. Um, should we open the overreaction file? Like just hypothetically and for bleeps and giggles to bring it to the Thompson line and based on what we saw in preseason and would you put Zach Benson up there for game number two or do you just kind of stay the course? Well, so this is the other part that is very interesting to me is that what do we talk about in the second intermission last night is oh, Jordan Greenway, best Sabre player on the ice right now. And he was noticeable because he was around pucks and he forechecked and he had good sticks and he made good plays in all three zones. And, um, but then I, I, I pulled up money puck this morning and mm-hmm. I look at the stats when it comes to the lines, how did the lines play as a unit? And I look at it and I say the Benson Middlestad Greenway line at the worst numbers of all four lines when you look at creating offense. So now it goes back to, okay, well, if the middle stat line had created so much offense that their numbers were really good, and the Thompson line had not created offense, that the numbers were really bad, then I'm thinking mirror the two of them, and then maybe you make a switch. Maybe you say, I'm going to put Tuck back with middle stat and Greenway, and I'm going to put Benson with uh, Thompson and Skinner. But it's the opposite. It's the opposite. Actually, Thompson's line had the 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 better number offensively by far. Cousins was not nowhere near that. The second best line offensively was Krebs, Gergensen's Zuck, Poso. So you know but they that, were on for the two critical goals against. They got a bad matchup in those two goals. They were on the ice for a minute and a half against our Timmy Panarin, and he scored two goals. Yeah. Right. That's what basically came down to just the way that. A line comes off the ice. You're like, okay, the rotation is Krebs. You're on the ice. And Panarin's line either jumps on the ice or stays a little longer. And boom, they score two goals. But my thinking now is I would never press the overreaction button. And I'm not there yet. And, and you know, I was, it was in jest when I was saying it. I, I am yes, probably but... the least likely to overreact as host of this show. And if I ever do... I'm letting the cat out of the bag here. It's probably purely for selfish attention grabbing reasons. Or it's just just emotional, not rational, right? That's the way it is. But I'll say this. I'm not pressing the button saying, okay, switch the lines and put Benson with uh, with Thompson and Skinner. But I'm saying I it's not the it's in that filing cabinet. You know, there's a file, yeah. Zach Benson with Thompson and Skinner, that's in the filing cabinet. Well, I I may reach for it at some point if if it still looks that way. When you were just describing the Thompson line and the Middlestad line, an old cliche popped into my head, and I was it? like, maybe the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And in the middle of the Thompson line and the middle stat line is the Cousins line, of which we have talked about all summer, all fall, and now one game in because of the absence of Jack Quinn. And what is the best way to make this line have an impact? Again, significantly pushing the brakes here, not overreacting, but it's a question because it hasn't had a huge impact, even like for the sake of fun in the preseason, right? Yeah. Like, so 
how long like is that the more likely focal point at some point here in the short term to try to get going because we saw last year like you just said it so much mm -hmm. offense and creativity and success runs through the Thompson line but guess what doesn't happen if Dylan Cousins doesn't become a 30 goal scorer yeah, so like no, if I'm... they have the if they have this massive drop off behind the Thompson line it's that's a double like that's that's a double negative. So. so how about this? Okay. I saw an article the other day on baseball, and I think it was Greg Maddox that was talking about they asked him who was the hardest player to face. Who was the hardest, like the toughest batter to face? And mm -hmm. a lot of people think Barry Bonds was the toughest batter to face, right? Greg uh, Maddox. I would says, say Tony Gwynn, but okay. Well, Maddox said, No, nah, I didn't mind pitch because if there was nobody buying Bonds or if it was a, a bad situation, we didn't pitch to him. Right. But if there was nobody behind him, then we pitched to him and who cares what he did? Right. Because there was no threat after him. This is the same thing when it comes to hockey and the lines. Like Tate Thompson is not going to be as effective if there's nobody behind him that can carry some weight, some offense that can push the pace. And that definitely needs to be Dylan Cousins' job and that line. Because as we know, Casey Middlestat. He's playing with an 18-year-old and Jordan Greenway. The offense may be limited. Like I thought they were good in the game last night in the job that they did. But the yeah. offense is still limited. So you need another line to create. And that has to be Paterka, Cousins, and Olofsson. Paterka did create. But it was a different type of play. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that, and I'm going to take a shot at Robbery right here. Because he took a shot at us last night during the broadcast. So I'm going to say, you know what? You still listen to him enough to know that he took a shot? Oh, yeah. He's like, listen to Man, you are Duffer and Marty on Sabres Live because they have all the stats, every stats and all well, of it. I mean, in his defense, you have come out of the, the blocks statistically heavy today. So well Because done. that's important because that tells a story of the game that Rob Ray is not going to tell us. Uh, so I'm taking a shot at Razor. Yes, I am. But the biggest, biggest thing last night in the game was – if the Sabres can play quicker, and I'm not saying skate faster, I'm saying quicker play execution plays and quicker shots on net. Look, Panarin's goal yesterday, if that was a, if we reversed the role in the game last night, the way it was played, mm -hmm. if that was Tage Thompson that had the, the, the shot and Jacob Truba that was the defenseman, you know what would have happened on that play? That shot would have been blocked. Right, oh, because yeah. the Sabers hung on to the puck an extra second to allow a shot blocking defenseman or forward to get in the way, and Panarin on that shot realized Samuelson was about to make a, a play and he took the shot before. Right, that was the biggest difference. I wish there was a, a stat, and I'm going to say it right out. I wish there was a stat that showed you contested shots and the distance and time between the shooter and the defender to, to show that yesterday in the game, the Sabres allowed the Rangers to just get within five feet yes. of every time they were shooting the puck. Don't allow that to happen. That would have made a huge difference in the game because the, the power play would have had shots on net, would have had rebounds, would have created chaos. It didn't happen because they allowed the Rangers to get in those shot blocking moments. Do you think Samuelson believed in that split second that his decision would force Panarin to shoot or was he hoping Panarin would pass? 
I think when I saw it at first, I thought, go, like go and force Panarin to pass mm-hmm. because you know what can happen. Pedal was wide somebody... open though. And I, I was wide as open, soon as but... it started, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a backdoor goal for Hedl. Well, yeah, then... but yeah. there's so much that can happen. And I remember I was with the Rangers when our mentality was always forced the other team to make another play. Mm-hmm. Right. And also no, who's in the slot, who's not like Panarin coming down the slot. You got to take that away. But I would, I would ha- hope and ask Matthias Samuelson to come out a little harder on Panarin. And if he moves the puck to Hedl, number one, puck can jump. It can be not, the pass may be in his feet. Mm -hmm. There's so many variables that can happen, but allowing Panarin to take two strides and walk in, you're kind of making it easier, right? You're you're Mm -hmm. putting a silver platter out there and saying, well, I'm going to take the the one option. I'm going to give you the shooting option. It's like a two-on-one, the old adage. Well, Defense, take the pass, and goalie have the shooter. No, that's not how it works. No, but in that situation, statistically, you would because Panarin next to Connor McDavid is the best passer in the league the last decade. Yes. I still think that I'm taking away Panarin in the slot and hoping that he makes the pass to Filipino, who's outside of the slot, kind of towards the – you know, the side of the house that we draw on the ice all the time. And maybe something else can happen. Maybe a defender has more time to come back. I get what Samuelson was doing. I'm not blaming him for that right. play. Nor am That's I. I just think it it's happened. a fascinating and challenging real-time split-second moment in pro yeah. sports that gets overanalyzed. But when you really break it down, it's like, what would have been the winning scenario there other than getting good fortune and a bouncing puck? Um. Yeah, you're hoping that Panarin comes in and shoots the puck and misses the net or hits right. Levi right in the chest. Yeah. Which that's what happened to the Sabres many times yesterday. They get in that position yeah. and you're like, hey, I'm going to let you shoot. But they still found a way the Rangers did to get mm-hmm. closer. Yeah. And I think time, with Samuelson's yeah. range and length, he probably could have gotten closer and still have been able to defend against the pass. Okay, Sabres are at the island tomorrow. Much more on this game, obviously, coming up um, with noted Rangers observer, Shayna Goldman, at the bottom of the hour. So uh, uh, she will, you know, maybe take us through just how daunting it was for Buffalo last night based on how locked in the Rangers looked. But obviously, we are looking ahead already, and importantly, to tomorrow's game, Buffalo And the Islanders will have 7 o'clock pregame coverage on MSG. Of course, last night was the Sabres season opener. Tonight, it is the Amherst home opener, season opener. And you may have seen on social, Marty, we received a goodie bag from Emily at the Amherst yesterday. uh, Of which, some things included in that bag are available to fans tonight who are making their way to Blue Cross Arena, including replica banners for the first 2,000 fans. But I'll be down there with Don on the call tonight. We're looking forward to seeing you at Blue Cross Arena. We'll rock the block party from 4 to 7. Some tremendous happy hour specials and an awful lot more amidst this Amherst game tonight against Bridgeport. Head coach of the Amherst is, of course, Seth Appert. He is with us here on this game day. Hi, Seth. How are you? Hey, guys. How are we doing? Good. Are you going to ask me questions again on this show like you did this morning during the media availability? Talk about putting me on the spot. Well, sometimes it's good to flip it a little bit, you know, and let you know how it works. <laughs> um, and uh, but watching it yesterday, it was uh, it was pretty cool and moving the RJ stuff before the game that you were part of. And I was just curious 
to get your yeah. thoughts. So, well, I mean, uh, it really was, and I, I actually greatly appreciate you bringing it up because it really was the theme woven through the whole night, Marty. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I've been lucky enough to be in the office today and see a lot of our creative team and thank them for the incredible pregame video and everything that went into yesterday. Yeah, the pregame video was amazing, and. You know, I, I got to realize now that we are always being recorded, right? So, uh, like, when I'm going to do an RJ impersonation, like, on the remembering, you know, RJ thing that we did, and I'm like, oh, I make a glove save, and he's like, what a glove save? I'm like, that's a terrible RJ impersonation. And they used it in the video because it was a funny moment. So I got to... I got to be smart. I got to realize we're always being recorded and watched, but it was yeah. an incredible moment. Uh was really, uh, uh, I'm, I've got my RJ way sign that I'm going to treasure because that's going to be going in the hockey basement at some point as a wall of things that are very important. And I think that's going to be there. So, um, that's great. Duffer, you did awesome set. Thanks for watching and uh, for bringing that up this morning. That's great. Yeah, that was cool. No, go ahead, go ahead, Duffer. I was going to ask a, a, a quick, funny question. Go for it. Okay. We, like, we like humor. So when you guys play and you're going to play at home and Yuri Kulik is on the ice and Devin Kulik is playing that and the crowd goes, Kulik, Kulik, who are they talking about? Like, are you going to know which which guy you got to go with? Like, who's getting the accolade here? Hopefully both of them are. Uh, I think that is what we're hoping is hopefully that uh, Devin Cooley is getting a lot of that and uh, that Yuri Kulik is also getting a lot of that. So I think we're lucky that uh, that they're not both players. Uh, one's a goalie because otherwise they're both on the bench and I would have no clue what to do at that point. <laughs> we, t- we talked this morning about the depth of your lineup. Um, can you give us a little insight into how you construct the lines for tonight? Just in the sense of you have newcomers once again, but you also have this tremendous returning uh, veteran cast of the Yops and Mersh's and Murray's of the world. Are they still looked upon by you as your leaders or de facto number one line? Like, how do you view that? You know, I, I, um, it's, those are hard things right now. We're almost too deep. It's a, it's a good problem, but it can be a bad problem in the American League too. And so um, I, I I broke that line up uh, much to the chagrin of uh, of Vinny Prospel, who who kept telling me that it was our best line in the playoffs, um, which it was, right? It it, it certainly was. So, um, but you know, you do a lot of times want to have some younger guys with uh, some veteran presences. Um, so like a guy like Victor Noichev, uh, tonight, he is going to be at, at least start the game with Yapst and Mersh, uh, or sorry, excuse me, uh, Kisikoff is, um, okay. and, and you, you want to give some younger guys like that, some veteran stability. Um, so hopefully they allows them to be comfortable and play to their strengths. Victor Noichev is going to be with Kozak and Cedarquist, uh, guys that are strong, hard win puck battles, uh, c- good making plays as well. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping that that allows uh, guys like Kiskov and Noichev to be in positions of success uh, so they can have a good start to the season. You talk about Vinny Prospel uh, that is uh, studying the tape from last year in the playoffs and is having his recommendations when it comes to forward lines. Uh, what's Nathan Page thinking about the defense depth and how you can manage to put six defensemen on the ice um, with all the good young and older uh, veteran defensemen that you have on the team? 
Yeah, realistically, we'd like to play eight defensemen tonight. Yeah, uh, that's that's how good the decor is. I don't feel good about any of our defensemen being out. Um, and credit to Zach Matza, uh, who's on an American League contract for earning his way into that conversation uh, with his play in the playoffs last year and his play at training camp this year. So um, those are hard things. And, and you know, the, the best way I've found, um, and I've talked to veterans about this, veterans in the past that have played and also current guys, uh, is for me just to be completely honest about the situation. Just address it. Uh, the elephant in the room is we have too many good hockey players right now, and some guys have to sit at times. Um, I'm a believer in, in we should share some of that pain together. Uh, it shouldn't be just one or two guys that are always out, um, you know, and so we're going to have to have a little bit of a lineup rotation at times, knowing that in the American League there's a balance. And and, and I've told some of the older guys this. There, there's a balance. The, we want to win, uh, but Buffalo's also hired and paid me to – develop young players so a lot of times young guys need to be in the lineup it's fascinating what you just shared with us about the lines and separating Kisikov and Noichev is that hard to do um you know I leaned on Vinny on this you know Vinny lived their life right he came over to North America didn't speak the language <laughs> played in the American League um, he felt that it'd be better for them to be apart. If they're together, they're always leaning on each other and talking to each other, potentially in Russian or likely in Russian, where if they're apart, number one, we can have older guys with them to help them. But number two, they don't have an option, but to be integrated and part of that line and communicating with that line. So, um, I think that, that Vinny felt that it's the best way to more quickly integrate Noichev. Uh, into the group uh, is to have him away from Kisikov instead of with him on a line. How are uh, they doing English wise? Because I remember seeing them in, in training camp, they were walking to the shooting cage in Buffalo. And I said, you guys going to shoot a couple of pucks. And I, you know, guys off the ice, you haven't seen a whole lot. Sometimes you don't recognize them. And uh, they both answered with a really quick, like, yeah, shooting pucks. Like it just was, it was so funny, but at least they made an effort. Like that's to me is the first step, right? So how are they doing in that sense? Do they, do they ask questions? Do, do you think like they get every time you talk to the team that they get what the gist of the structure and the, 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 you know, the setup yeah. is? Kisikoff is there for sure. He's done a great job and did it alone last year. So credit to him and how hard he's worked on and off the ice to acclimate himself. Um, Novikov is ahead of Noichev in his, in his speaking. Novikov, I would say, understands 85% um, of, of what we're telling them in terms of the interaction and what we can't. We make sure we grab them after. Noichev is, isn't quite to that spot yet. Uh, so I watched video with Noichev this week, and I just put my phone on and Google translated things I thought he needed to know. Yeah. Um, one funny moment was I showed him in Utica. He made a really great play. But then he got absolutely destroyed from behind into the wall after he made the play because he wasn't anticipating getting hit. And he looked at me and he said, no penalty. And, <laughs> and I laughed. And I'm like, uh, then I Google translated. Uh, this is the jungle. They don't call those things in the American League. Uh, you have to protect yourself and be ready to get hit like that. And so he got a laugh out of that. Uh, there was one other time we got to that clip. 
And he laughed and he looked at me. And he's like, no penalty. He's like in Russia, that penalty, you know? <laughs> uh, so, you know, you have to spend a little extra time. Sometimes after a team meeting, I'll grab Noichev and make sure he understands the, the most important pieces of it. Um, but they're doing a good job. Novikov's wife, Arena, um, speaks quite well. Uh, and, and, uh, the, uh, the conversations I've had with her, she seems outstanding. I know that team had a gathering on Saturday night last week and, uh, the players were really impressed with her. And so I think that's going to help, uh, Nikita quite a bit as well. I'll tell you a funny thing, Marty, that I saw that obviously Seth, you would have seen in your only preseason game at home, Noichev mistakenly was about to hop over the boards. Kisikov physically grabbed him, <laughs> pulled him down because obviously Noichev had misunderstood the assignment. Yes. Kisikov was trying to explain it. Noichev is looking at him like half, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Or half, <laughs> what are you doing to me? Let me go. And I was thinking, this is, this is actually pretty great. Like these are, it's, it's better than it happened in the preseason, I suppose. Right, Seth? Yeah, no, that was a funny moment. Uh, and uh, Keith has done a good job of helping those guys in, in those moments and translating when needed. Um, but yeah, there, there's going to be some problems that come with it. And we're just going to have to work through them. And, you know, the first couple months, uh, the the play, the team play, the systems, the communication, all of that, it, it just takes time. And uh you know, we're working to try to find a good Russian tutor. We're in communication with the University of Rochester right now um, to try to find someone to uh, help them more than just them going online and doing it themselves. And so uh, I think we're, we're on a good path of that. And, and uh, but it is going to take some time. There's going to be some growing pains that come with it. Well, and quickly, exactly. just uh, yeah. on Devin Cooley, uh, if you can, just because a lot of people in Buffalo don't know him all that well. He hasn't been in the organization that long, just a training camp. Um, I've been impressed with him. How have you uh, seen Devin Cooley and what he can do for you guys this year? Yeah, he's as advertised uh, when, when Jason Carmanos brought his name up, Jeremiah Crow, our head pro scout, uh, you know, they asked me to do some research uh, on him in terms of character and teammate and things like that. And everybody I uh, called that, that I know that played with him just raved about the kind of teammate he is, how competitive he is in practice uh, he doesn't give up on pucks, and and all of that is 100% true. Uh, so he's been outstanding. Uh, he's been really good in practice, and he makes it hard on our forwards. He doesn't give up on a puck. He's going to play every puck out, uh, which has been a really impressive trait. Uh, and I think in the one period in Buffalo and then the three periods last week, uh, he's looked very sharp. So uh, we're excited about him. Uh, he's a guy that the guys will want to play in front of because of how hard he works for them. Seth, super impressive lineup that you have to work with this year. Can't wait to see it play out. Good luck tonight. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Seth Appert, head coach of the Amherst. Rock the Block Party starts at 4 in Rochester outside of Blue Cross Arena today. It's super family friendly and obviously a lot of giveaways at hand as well. Uh, Thundersticks for the first 5,000. You got replica banners from their division crown last year for the first 2,000 going into the rink. And of course... The puck drops on the Amherst and Islanders just after seven. Yes, it's that kind of weekend. Organizationally, as Buffalo goes into New York tomorrow night, we'll have pregame coverage on MSG Saturday at seven. Shana Goldman next here on Sabres Live. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. 
That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Rolling along here on a Friday on Sabres Live, the defending Stanley Cup champions are 2-0. We saw an empty netter turn into the game-winning goal last night for the New Jersey Devils. And put some respect on Jonas Siegenthaler, Marty. Remember that from last year? He had three assists last night, so he's among the early-season defense scoring leaders. All of this falls under the league-wide umbrella which is why we bring in Shana Goldman for everything NHL. Hi, Shana. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Well, we were, you know, hoping we were doing this on a different day because we didn't want to hear about the greatness of Adam Fox too much on the heels <laughs> of a 5-1 Rangers win over the Sabres last night. But uh, what was your take from the, the opener for both? Yeah, um, I think there is a lot to, I mean, it looks one game, there's 81 games to go. And it's so hard to like not make it sound like a big conclusion and overestimation. But they're like the early returns for the Rangers is that they look a lot cleaner at five on five. It felt like under Gerard Gallant, they never really clinched on to his system. And there were never any adjustments made. And it looks like that's already a difference. You're seeing clean breakouts out of the zone. You're just seeing a more stable game at five on five. So that's a good building block for them to continue on this year if they can hold it up for 81 more games. You know, no small task there. And for the Sabres, it's a little bit more of the same. It's some of what we saw in preseason, right? The defensive game definitely needs work. That top line is very good. That top defensive pair is very good. But you need that consistency throughout the lineup. You need a little bit more of an offensive punch at five on five. And you need a stronger defense at five on five. But like it's it's a process, right? It's one game. And we'll see where it goes. Okay, let me ask you this. I don't recall Peter Laviolette's teams that it is the Nashville Predators or the Washington Capitals play a 1-3-1 through the neutral zone and be this shot-blocking, like, masterful teams. Is this just because he has the horses, especially on the back end, to be like, hey, you guys going to block a lot of shots? Or was that something new with Peter Laviolette saying he is going to evolve with a different system in his uh, in his coaching? Yeah, I feel like he's been, you know, known to try to protect the middle in front of goaltenders a little bit more, but not as much. Like, you don't think of defensive stalwarts under him in recent years. You think of more defensive-minded teams with the Predators, but then we see, you know, that next wave with John Hines, and that was a true defensive system. It was different. And with the Capitals, you know, the same is true. I think it's the influence of the assistant coaches a little bit, because with Washington, he wasn't with Phil Housley, and now he's back as he was with the Predators. And I wonder about the influence of someone like Michael Pekka on how he's trying to evolve because I can't, and Dan Muse as well. I can't see Muse and Pekka coming in and bringing nothing innovative to the table. They seem like really, you know, strong up and coming coaches. Uh, We know Pekka. So yeah, I think when it comes to defensive play and defensive forwards and all of that, I think there's a lot of Michael Pekka influence there. So yeah, absolutely. Were there any Sabres that stood out for you in a, in a, in a positive way, Shana? Yeah, I mean, I think the top line, you know, I think Tuck looked a little bit off, but like it was good to see Tage uh, creating offense. I think that there's 
you know, work to be done there for everybody, rest to shake off. I mm-hmm. thought that Darlene looked strong at points in the game. I think him and Samuelson together looked good. I was a little underwhelmed by some of the rest of the lineup, but I, even guys like Jordan Greenway, I think that there's potential there and you can see the bite and the hard to play against and that, you know, forechecking ability, I think is going to be really strong from him as the mm-hmm. year goes on. Like, I think the Sabres are so good off the rush. We know that about them, but I'm going to be interested to see how they round out their game. And I feel like someone like that's going to help. Can we add a new, and I know people are going to scream at their TV or radio set when they list hear what I have to say. Can we add a new coaches challenge category just once a game that you get it right or you don't get it right where you can challenge a penalty? So when a guy like Adam I Fox like grabs the stick of Zach Benson and pulls him off and then they call Benson for hooking, you can challenge and say that didn't happen because that's Kreider's goal that ends up being the game winning goal makes it to nothing. Could we, could we like, Test that with the NHL. I don't know. Maybe you have a little bit of weight. Write an article about it or something. Me, I have weight. Yeah, if I had my way, <laughs> if I had my way, we're going to be seeing five forward power play units all the time. We're yeah. going to be seeing offsides completely abolished. Like I would be changing so many rules. I don't hate that though, honestly, because I think the NHL is teetering this weird line where they're trying to be super efficient. And like, what a concept. Who among us doesn't want to be efficient, right? But yeah. it feels like they pick and choose what they want to be efficient with. And it's so menial, like this millimeter of offside. And now we're debating, is the skate in the air? Is that like, it's so much that sometimes you're like, can we go for things that might be a little easier to spot? I love the system in place where it's, you can see a major and you can call it as a major and then you get the chance to review and reduce. And you can't do that with every penalty. But I feel like, you know, if the coaches could throw a flag on the ice yes. something for a little more drama, right? Who doesn't want drama in games? Um, why not? I think you can make something a little bit more interesting. I wish that there was an eye in the sky ref who could call down though and say, hey, yeah. wait, 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 wait reverse that call just an, an extra checking system i think that's what i would put in first i think the league would probably go for that first but just have that extra referee to kind of be like a vibe check so if they call something immediately they'd be like never mind we're waving it off and they can have two tablets in front of them plus a live view whatever it is one of the most entertaining aspects of the ultra skilled national lacrosse league is when coaches with velocity Throw that challenge flag as far as possible to get the officials' attention. I would love to see more of that. In or hockey. when Bill Belichick throws it at the sideline judge, like right at his feet, like boom, like there a little go. baby. Yes, <laughs> pouty, pouty. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, nothing to pout about with Vegas right now, Shayna. They uh, they are dialed in. They've got wins for both their top netminders right out of the blocks. Um, were they your preseason choice? To repeat or, oh, oh no, oh no. Who's your choice? Um, I think Dallas is actually my choice. It's like a good shootout winner for Matt Duchesne in his Dallas debut. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like they were the most underrated contender going into last year's. And I hate saying like underrated because I feel like it's such a snobby term to be like, oh, that's so underrated. Like, oh, I'm so ahead of the curve. Like, I'm not. I'm just saying I think that they were the playoff team to get the least hype going into the, you know, going into it last year when they had an elite penalty kill, elite goaltending, elite power play. They are more than a one line team. And I think they got even better with with their depth in the offseason. And, you know, it's just a little bit of work on the defense. Like, I wouldn't be giving Ryan Suter as meaningful minutes, minutes as they do. But otherwise, I think Dallas might be the team to watch. But if we can get a Western Conference final of Dallas versus Vegas once more, I'm not complaining at all. I'm hyped for their game on Tuesday, personally. Well, they do have a goaltender in Jake Ottinger, who is second before the season started 
in odds to win the uh, Vesna Trophy, I believe. Vasilevsky was one, and then you had Soros and Shosturkin after that. And then one guy that I saw at plus 2,000 is Philip Gustafson. Would that be the sneakiest pick with the shutout, 40 save shutout last night against the Florida uh, Panthers? For, 41, I think. 41, I should say. Yes, you're right. Um, would that be a sneaky pick right now to say Philip Gustafson for the Vesna at the end of the year? Absolutely. I think he saved, according to Natural Statric, I think they had him at 3.86 goals above expected last night, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, he was so good last year. He was in the top 10 in goal saved above expected last year. He was up there in quality starts. He was up there in, you know, steals. The problem was he didn't play as much as some of the other starters. So, you know, for counting stats like that, you're counting how many steals, how many quality starts or goals saved of expected. The more you play, the better you can be because you have more opportunity. Of course, that's more opportunity to lose points and things like that as well. But, you know, he was so excellent last year. And obviously he has to prove that that wasn't a fluke. That's who he truly is. And I do think it was a very good start for him last year to show like he was a 1A goalie and this is the year to say I'm a bona fide starter. He's a sneaky good pick. And yes, he's behind a very good defensive team. So I think people are going to, you know, look at him and go, oh, but you're, you know, you're playing behind the wild. He's still that top yeah. notch, I think. Yeah. Well, he's got the guzz bust. Did you guys see the video? The Minnesota Wild put out, it says, it's not weird, it's wild. And he's oh driving God. the school bus with Marcus Foligno, like as a kid with a ball in the bus and the Gus bus, they call it. It's awesome. I need to see that. I need that. Well, it's it's quite frankly shocking that anybody on this panel would have debated that he wouldn't have made more than other free agent goaltenders in his class. Because you had summer. him, right, Duffer? You had him at the top. <laughs> and you can say all you want that Minnesota's a fine defensive team, but their 41 saves uh, is is maybe a little, uh, little much for their liking, but they emerged with the victory. And sadly, the other thing that falls into the one-for-one one category, Columbus played a game, and Columbus lost a significant player due to injury in Zach Wierenski. Please, Shayna, make this stop. I, I, I feel for the Jackets fan base. Zach Wierenski need by Garnet Hathaway last night, and he's out for likely a week to two. The only good news for the Jackets is they were able to recall a terrific prospect in David Juracek. Yeah, and they're lucky. I think it's at one to two weeks versus anything more serious. I don't know what Zach Wierenski did in his past life to deserve this. I <sighs> think the Blue Jackets need to get him a nice bundle of sage. They need to give him like what, like a rabbit's tail. Every single superstition give this man because he's such a good player and everybody keeps underrating him because they're not seeing a full season from him. And I don't even think that people are looking at it going, well, he's injury prone because it's not like, oh, he has a groin issue. Oh, he has a knee issue. And it's repeatable things. It's just, I think that people forget how good he is because they don't get to see him enough and enough away from Seth Jones even because I think everyone thought of them together and haven't seen him thrive individually when I think he's so excellent in his own right so you know I'm I've had enough of the Zach Wierenski erasure and I can't I can't fix this until he's healthy once he's healthy and playing then we can scream about how good he is and people maybe will listen yeah and and Duffer you mentioned it's a knee it was kind of a weird hit though it's not nope. like somebody sticking the knee out it's like a a leg on leg, knee on knee kind of collision. Now he's got a quad contusion or some sort. Um, right. So that's what Hathaway it is. Hathaway was called for kneeing on the play. That was the yeah. point of emphasis I was trying he to He led with yeah. his front leg to take the hit, but he didn't yeah. pull it aside. It's a weird look. Uh, we've seen that a few times. Um, 
Breaking and by news. the way, how do we get fined for it? The, the maximum yes. 5,000. There's another thing you can change about the NHL when you garner more weight, uh, Shana. They get rid of these ridiculous fines and actually make it meaningful. So, well, yeah, right. the same thing happens everywhere. The NFL fined Greg Kittle uh, 10 grand for the, his, his, his t shirt. And I'm like, he knew he was going <laughs> to lose money right away and he still wore it, right? Doesn't matter. Hey, breaking news somebody's making money. Devontae's. Sign a seven-year extension at seven and a quarter million a year. Uh, what do you make of the numbers? Is is Devontae's a top five, top seven, top ten defenseman in the NHL? Oh God, now I have to count on my hands who would go ahead. No, of him. but that salary oh. doesn't even put him there. <laughs> no, a salary yeah. doesn't put him there at all. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely. I, I think I could safely say he's like top ten. I feel like it's guys like him, mm. like the top five. It's probably guys like Fox, McCarr. McAvoy, I would put Darlene in the top 10. Um, Shane I'd go Theodore, top 25 I, here. I think Taves and Theodore are the guys like on the fringes of the 10. But maybe I'm counting wrong and I'm going to I'm going to like forget, you know, defenseman and be kicking myself the second we're done here because that's like I feel like the vibe right now. We're so rusty. It's it's you know, we're not even a week into the season, but I think it's a great contract. You top 10 paid defensemen are Carlson, Darlene, Dowdy, Wernski, Jones, McAvoy, Fox, Nurse, Yossi, McCarr, and Hamilton. That's 11. But I uh, cringe hearing before that Taves? Jones and Nurse contract what, every time. What, what will yeah. Taves be with the extension? Where where, where will he rank? He'll Party. probably be ranked. I have got the uh, the top 11 here from next year. Oh, sorry, um, so he'll probably be like old school. Oh. 15th or 20th, <laughs> like between 15th and 20th, probably. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is since we're going to sign off right now. I'm going to publicly say what I told you earlier, Shana. And that was you received a wonderful bouquet of compliments oh, yes. from our guests at the Sabres luncheon earlier this week. So thank you for making our show better. You are adored and welcomed every week. And we love having you. Thank you. I love doing this. <laughs> Marty, nothing nice to say. Uh, I do have something nice to say, but I was looking. So next year, Devontae's will be the 29th IS defenseman in the National Hockey League starting next year. That's even That's worse it. than I thought. That's it. The 29th. He's behind Vince Dunn, Morgan Rowley, Eggblad, Spurgeon, Orlov, Quinn Hughes. Like, that's 29th. He's going to be ranked. Wow. See? My instincts are right. I'd have him around 25th. So You that's have him around good. 25th that's... in, like, value, though? Like, you... Maybe I just it's I'm like you. I'm sitting here hedging my bets because I feel like I'm going to forget a whole bunch of names in the process of identifying this. But let's just say it's great value for the Avs. He's absolutely a critical piece for them, and they are undoubtedly thrilled to get this done. Shana, we'll do this again next week and see you soon. Thanks. We'll wrap Sabres live <laughs> after this. Sabres Live, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Still good to be looking forward to the next Sabres game. That is tomorrow against the Islanders. Marty, do you suspect, based on what we just saw and heard about in practice today, and based on the feeling going into the year, that Devin Levi is likely to be the guy tomorrow? Yeah, I, I would assume Um that Devin Levi will be going back into the net tomorrow. You know, his performance yesterday was 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 okay. It wasn't great. 
You look at the expected goals and what he gave up. It was roughly around the same, maybe a little on the negative side, but fine. Uh, I think there was a couple of tap-ins, right? Lafreniere tap-in, uh, Kreider tap-in, Kreider deflection. Not a lot he can do on those. So I would go back with Levi. He's your guy right now. You got to test the waters with him. And I wouldn't change much to the lineup either. I would go with the same lines, the same deep pairing, and build on the adversity that they face against the Rangers in, in game one, which they probably will face against the Islanders in game two. Mm-hmm. Teams are going to kind of get a game plan against the Sabres, and I feel like it's going to be the same. And it'll be game one for the Islanders, so Sabres will try to jump on that opportunity. It's game one for the Amherst tonight. We appreciate Seth Appert joining us earlier. The other Devon netminder in the organization, Cooley, gets the start for the Amherst. And let me tell you, we say it all the time, but holy cow, this team is deep. Yeah. Uh, Metza and Sakoni are not playing on the blue line in all likelihood. And the fourth line for the Amherst tonight is Noichev with Kozak and Cedarquist. Like, I mean, there are three, all three of them are Sabres hopeful, right? Like Nurchev, right. Kozak, Cedarquist. You think in a couple of years they could be there. That's a fourth line that you would dream about if you were an AHL coach. Yeah, so it's impressive. That starts at 7 in Rochester. If you're not able to get to Blue Cross Arena, you can uh, hop on, hopefully, uh, the Odyssey app or on AHL TV. I'll be joining Don Stevens for the call on that one. Marty, anything else Sabre-related in the final 10? No, nothing related with the Sabres. The Edmonton Oilers got spanked 8-1, and they're breaking out their Heritage Classic gear today. They look bad, bad in every way. That's a double negative for them. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you tomorrow night. 